Welcome to the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host Tanya Falkner, and this episode is the recording of a recent panel discussion about game localization wishlists. We invited four experts to the panel to talk about what has yet to be achieved in game localization. Stay tuned for some interesting insights. Welcome everybody to today's panel discussion. In this panel, uh, which is brought to you by Wordbee and it's hosted by my colleague Robert Rowe and myself, Tanya Falkner. And in today's event, it's, uh, it's going to be a bit of an ideation session because we will talk with our panelists about their game localization wishlist and what remains to be achieved in the industry. And of course, we hope that this discussion will provide everyone with some food for thought, but also serve for future advancement of the game localization industry. And for our listeners, if you have any questions or comments um, and want to jump in on the discussion, you can just write them on uh, in the chat box on the right-hand side of your screen, and we will try to address them as we go. And uh, yeah, this wishlist has a, it's kind of a Christmas, it's Christmas time, so maybe there's kind of a Christmas theme here with the wishlist um, as well. Um, but anyway, so we're super excited to welcome our four experts. We've got uh, Carmen Mangeron and Adolfo Gomez Urda. Uh, and uh, Victor Alonso and uh, Paul Davis uh, with us today. And uh, rather than um, introduce uh, you ourselves, we'll, we'll let you um, offer your, your, your introductions first. So, uh, but thanks for coming on to the panel. Welcome, you. Okay, so my name is Adolfo. I work, um, I'm WB, uh, Warner Brothers in Montreal. I'm the head of the localization department here. Uh, in the past, I worked with uh, Ubisoft and THQ, and I've been in the gaming industry for 15 years, always in localization. Previous to that, I was a translator as well. Cool. Welcome to the panel. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Victor, you can go next. Yes, of course. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Victor Alonso. I work for Pink Noise. We are a vendor in the side. We are on the vendor side of uh, of the game localization part. So we are a uh, a uh, company with uh, 20 years experience. Uh, we have studios and production teams in Madrid, Mexico City and Paris. And well, we handle all type of games from AAA games to small mobile uh, games, uh, audio, as you see here, I'm in the studio, it was quite a space in the office right now and yeah this is that's big noise yeah cool hey, uh, i'm paul thanks as well for inviting me to the panel i hope it'll be really interesting um i work at social point we're a mobile games develop developer based in barcelona uh and at social point i had the english copywriting and localization team uh, prior to that, I worked uh, EA and Sony, but I also had a short stint on the vendor side, so I got to see a bit both sides of, of the business, which was great. Um, and yeah, happy to be here. Awesome, thank you. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Carmen. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me as well. Um, I am currently a researcher and lecturer at the Universitat Autónoma de Barcelona in Spain, and I mainly deal, well, work in game localization and game accessibility as well. But for many years before that, about eight, nine years, I worked as a freelance game localizer, and my main client was Square, Square Enix. So I worked on the localization of the Final Fantasy uh, titles mainly, and I did other smaller things. But you know, my my biggest claim to fame is that one. <laughs> Cool. That's amazing. And I think you also wrote some books, right? That we've heard yes. of. Uh, yeah, I'm also a co-author with Minako Hagen of the Game Localization Handbook, which is the first uh, book that tackles game localization from an academic perspective, because there's Heather Chandler's book, but it's more from an industry perspective. And I've also uh, co-edited another um, one for all, it's called uh, Game uh, Local Localization and Accessibility Practices. And we also run a, a conference every two years on game localization and accessibility. Next one coming in June. All right. Carmen, could you share those with us after the, the call? Yes, of course, of course. You can't miss it. Victor has been there uh, before a couple of times, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It was really, really interesting, yeah, to have that uh, close to home. So it's a wonderful conference, it's close to home, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll make sure and share it with the attendees too, the, the people that are watching. Perfect, thank you. All right, well, thanks for the introductions. It's great to have you all here today. And I think, uh, yeah, let's kick things off. Maybe you can all, you know, we want to talk about your wish lists. Um, we can take turns. So why don't you all just tell us your 
number one thing on your game localization wish list. And we'll just go into that and then, yeah, we'll take turns. So maybe Carmen, we'll just start right there with you. Okay. Um, so I think my number one in the wish list is context, um, which is something that game translators, localizers also struggle with. I understand there's confidentiality issues sometimes, but maybe screenshots, walkthroughs, a bit of information, you know, who's talking, who are they talking to, etc., would be useful. Um, and then I guess also um, internationalization, also thinking into, you know, about translators, uh, information especially about variables, gender for languages such as Spanish, for example, where we have to agree, you know, masculine with feminine and number, etc. And sometimes, you know, simulations came might have it, but many other games don't and then I would like um, a call for you know closer cooperation between academia and the industry especially because I think um, the game industry is booming and the localization industry is booming and we need qualified uh, translators who can uh, cope with this type of translation and therefore you know the more we talk to each other the more we'll be able to provide uh, suitable training so I think that those are my three you know to Santa or the three wise men <laughs> Santa listening. So, so to pick up the academic topic, for the rest of the panelists, have you worked uh, or had some involvement with academia? And uh, like, ha are you also um, trying to facilitate this relationship? No, I've, I've heard Karna and know that she's in the same city. I'm, I'm hoping we can kick off something soon. Um, something maybe touching on the subject is an area I feel um, is maybe getting more and more importance is that very often in game localization you will work with um, recording artists, you'll work with translators, you'll work with testers and specifically with the split between translators and testers I've often thought wouldn't it be great if you had something like a um, I can't remember what we call it a test later so a hybrid between a translator and a tester very difficult to find because studying linguistics is not necessarily something that equates to being a passionate gamer or a very good tester but it's certainly something that you can benefit greatly from if you're lucky enough to find people who do have that combined skill set yeah i totally agree with that i mean somehow and it's something that we we see when we try to to hire new people uh, that at the end we want someone very very humanistic that wants to and uh, knows how to do many things not only translators and that's sometimes well in, in some collaborations that i've done with uh, with some universities etc it's something that i perceive sometimes that maybe wonderful linguists but they sometimes like lack some technology issues no some the geek factor that i mentioned sometimes those parts that somehow i need to be to be worked on how do you see that this could possibly be changed? Um, any ideas? Well, I think there are two directions to approach it. It's, it's quite difficult to find LQA testers who are very um, uh, knowledgeable about TMS systems, for example. It would be extremely helpful to have the LQA uh, staff integrated directly if you're using a TMS uh, internally or externally. Failing that, you always have to have a middle person who will import the text changes from the LQA team into the TMS at some point as you want to keep the memories uh, up to date. So you could start maybe through, I don't know if there are courses specific to LQA testing within the QA realm, but maybe including some TMS or capital um, education in you know, the QA development, in the LQA development, that could be one idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe the other way around too. I mean, uh, <laughs> is there some linguists that, that know about uh, about tools? I think that might be even easier. No, what do you think, Carmen? Mm -hmm. It might might be easier for a translator to learn about uh, a CMS, for example. No, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, like we try to train, you know, our translators. Um, like we do an MA. In MA, you know, the visual translation, and we do game localization. So we do, of course, they know about uh, translation memory systems. We also do post editing with them, and they also know a little bit of 
programming, but not too much. You know, we look a little bit at XML or, or things like that, but it'd be definitely easy, you know, to integrate translation technologies um, into that. I do not know of any um, specific training for LQA, but I think some of our um, students then end up doing that, you know, the linguistic testing. And, um, and it's, I sometimes we recommend that as a way to get started in the industry, because it's an industry that's very difficult uh, to get into. And sometimes it's easier to start like that than to start like a linguist. But definitely we need more training. Like there's absolutely not much training. It's mainly at third level, you know, in masters. And game localization is always, you know, a little bit, you know, of all the subjects. Also in conferences, it's always the two or three strange people who talk about games, you know, I'm talking about audiovisual <laughs> conferences or translation conferences. So I think it has to become also a bit more mainstream, but uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Cool. So um, maybe we should uh, pick up um, your your wish list item about context, um, and but maybe we skip over to Victor because I think you were having the same item in your wish list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So familiarization yeah, context is crucial. Yeah. Right. Right. So why don't we dive into that? So like, what specifically would you like to see for, in terms of getting more context? Like, like how, how do you envision this, this working and what, what kind of context? Yeah. If I may somehow, I mean, uh, sharing information is crucial. I mean, you know, we, we sometimes lack information about what we are translating, what we are uh, localizing. And it's, it's really uh, difficult to get and to get the idea of the developer and, uh, and make it real in another language if we lack information. So somehow, when we, you get clients that share information, that have collaboration tools, that share things about their game, their their universe, etc., it's really a gem. It's something like uh, that you want to to continue working with. You want to 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 improve that. So it's it's really very 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 interesting and crucial for the for the translator in order to be able to have that same idea that that, that was on the developer side. Uh, in another language. Mm -hmm. So the hard part is getting the information. It's getting the information. We have the confidentiality, all the security layers that we have in our industry, which is uh, sometimes reasonable, sometimes maybe not not that reasonable. <laughs> it depends a little bit mm -hmm. on on the point of view. Uh, and the ways also on one side the information and also the collaboration part uh, that sometimes can be also integrated in tools, etc. That, uh, that 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 can help the translators. Uh, also to get some contact between the clients and the final translator that is working on the on the file ways to 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 share that there are lot, there's lots of technologies it's really not 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 standard sometimes not integrated into in in translation management tools and um, so it it makes the thing a little bit complicated mm -hmm. do you think it's the technology that's still lacking that doesn't allow for for this context to be provided or just the uh, like communication and the processes that are there currently? I, I think it can be a mix of both. So, I mean, even for companies that have the good fortune of having writing and localization under one umbrella, so the, the, the localization uh, team knows what's required for translators to, opt to provide a good translation, and the writers will be sure to provide that context. The, the next step is then getting that context to the translators and um, that can be manual so the co context has to be created manually by a writer or by a designer that takes time um, but if you have a good pipeline to your TMS it's pretty easy to get that information in there what would be great is to help the writers and designers spend less time doing that and ideas there could be for you know if we had a TMS system where you could automatically link strings to screenshots from the game uh, which would require a bit of upfront development on on the game company side, but at a push of a button, you could populate your your translation uh, management system with screens from the entire game, and that would be so much quicker than a writer or designer spending hours writing up context and comments for translators without the security that the translator might even be reading it. So I think it can be a mix of both in in some cases. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I may, uh, from a developer's perspective, uh, what's being an issue uh, with this kind of thing, with context, is uh, security. Very often, you know, I mean, we would love to just send uh, the bills, even if they're not final, to the translators, but with so many companies and 
than being you know in Europe or whatever. Uh, it's really hard to like come up with a system to give them enough context. Query management is something that takes a lot of time uh, on the development side because you have several translators sometimes asking the same question. So you have to merge them, you have to uh, filter them. You don't want some of, some of those questions being showing that you know you don't have enough fields, for example. You don't want to send that to the dev. So you actually have to go through them through each one and make sure that there are no questions that shouldn't be asked. Sometimes we go through the queries ourselves and we answer what we can before we send to the developer. And, you know, I've tried to set up like systems like blog, for example, where translators can ask questions and the developer can just get an alert when they have a question to answer. But it's it, security is always a concern and it's really hard to put something like this in place. So the solution there is have a huge internal localization team well, we have, I mean, it's not it's not an excellent solution, but it, it kind of works and it's fluid, is that uh, we always have a description field in our content management solution, right? And this gets exported with every string export that we send to the translators. So uh, in Excel, you'll have a column called string description. And we populate that ourselves. Uh, sometimes the dev is really good at also entering uh, information in this field, but if they are not, we just take over and we add information about context, about length, about variables, about whatever. If I may, like that would be very interesting. Of course, the ideal are the screenshots. That would be wonderful, but I know there's a lot of, um, it's a very cagey, you know, very confidential industry. So any information at all, even in the Excel file, you know, if it's a noun or, you know, sometimes little things like that or for variables or, I think Bioware have a really great system. They have like dialogue trees where you can see, you know, who they're answering to, you know, who they're talking to, etc. So any information like what Adolfo was saying now, it's like gold, you know, for translators, because if you don't have that, it's very, very difficult to translate in a string, either in an Excel file or in a TMS open. Okay, is this, you know, a sign? Is this an order? Am I talking to one person, to two people? It gets very, and this is a very simple example, but it can get very complicated. And that's what we're always struggling, you know, um, the lack of context. So yeah, developer. For, for VO, for example, we always ask the developer to enter uh, the address information, right? So uh, that's something that they don't do by default and they don't even have a field for that. So we have to add it ourselves and we have to tell them to populate it. Sometimes we have to populate it ourselves. We have to listen to the audio and uh, look the string IDs and you know, fill up the, the address field because we know that it's, I mean, it's, 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 gonna, it's gonna impact the translation, right? If you're talking to a group, you're talking to a female, a male, uh, you're talking to a kid, you're talking to an old person, so. And in fact, this reduces the testing, the LQA time so much, because if you have a good translation with context, then you can cut down, you know, in testing time, resources, and the quality of the translation is much better. I'm here to us, fight. For us, VO is the most ex expensive part of localization, right? So we don't want to record something that's not accurate and then have, it, have to pay for pickups, right? So uh, for VO, anything that is going to be recorded, that's our main priority to, to give enough information to the translators. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Also, the type of game makes a lot of uh, differences there. I mean, you have a, a running game and, well, sometimes it's more than a game, it's more than a program. And uh, yeah, probably in social games or games like Social Point, you're continuously updating, I guess, uh, your content. So so. Uh, with small, small updates that are maybe not even related to the game itself, but you have to to share lots of uh, information about the glossary of the game because the the content relates to the game, but it's not really the game. Uh, all that information is would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that it's the definition, you know, in in social games and mobile games, but I'm sure across the board uh, of continuous localization. Um, and you know, maybe in some cases there. Uh, I wouldn't say security is not an issue. Security is always an issue. But I think, as you say, uh, Victor, the content can sometimes be very small and it might only have a life cycle for, for end users for a couple of hours or a day or two days. 
Um, so it's it's really delivering to players new content every single day, and that brings huge challenges uh, for localization and. It brings a different uh, aspect on what you prioritize or what you need to prioritize. But yeah, slightly off topic there, I think. But interesting. Off topic, on topic. <laughs> it's all good. So, um, well, okay. Why, why don't we go down that rabbit hole a little bit of continuous localization? Um, just, uh, do you have anything on your wish list related specifically to that? Um, anything that you just are dying to have? Me or yeah. everyone? Well, I don't well, know who's all doing that. So I think you know, with continuous localization, it's really speed is of the essence, but you can never uh, lose an eye on quality. Um, and I found that in a lot of localization projects, not just on mobile and, and I think in other companies as well, you will end up having at least three or four places where you're holding text. You'll have the game files or you'll have the game servers or JSON files or whatnot, uh, then you'll have a place where writers actually write the content. And that could be from a Word doc to an Excel file to any other program that writers like. Uh, then you'll have a content management system uh, in a good organization where you can have version control of your source text and the localizations. And then you have a TMS. So with those four or five places, you can imagine the challenges that you might have of delivering content within hours across 13, 14, 20 languages. So, you know, specifically my wish list for that would be trying to get an off-the-shelf platform that could at least combine three or four of those platforms that would allow both content creators, translators, and testers to work on the same platform, obviously with secure version control, um, because at the moment it's fragmented, and that fragmentation leads to delay, it leads to quality issues, it's like a game of Chinese whispers. You know, you have a lot of information in the first file, and then when it finishes off in the TMS, and actually where the work happens with the translator, a lot of it's been lost. Um, so there, there have been partial solutions out there, but I've yet to find really the holy grail in, in the industry that, that can do that. And, uh, a, lot, a lot of companies, they build their own solutions. Uh, but, you know, once they've done that, that's their intellectual property. It's not open source to the to the whole market so uh yeah if i did have one wish for 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 santa it would be something like that cool we'll we'll relay that to santa <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, somehow standards can help in the in that process that that paul was mentioning uh, having the same standards well xleaf is one for example these type of uh, of standards that can make the import export into different platforms uh, very quick uh, but well, if it is one platform, then of course it will be wonderful. But even with standards, it's not all automated, right? It's not. It's still. I mean, you can automate um, parts of it, but it's it's not like like Paul mentioned, not in all, not in one place. It's still multiple places. Adolfo, maybe we um, go over to you. What's what's on your wish list? So uh, my wish list is about uh, first party mainly. I you know I think they are always behind as far as localization goes. Uh, I think there are things they can do to uh, standardize uh, localization. Uh, right now, each uh, developer, each uh, studio do their own thing, uh, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's great for freedom, uh, but at the same time, uh, there's so many things that can go wrong and there's so many man hours that are spent uh, unnecessarily. If, for example, uh, First Party had a system where um, the, the game streams could just be uploaded to a server, right? So um, instead of each game having the all, their own file format that gets integrated into the game, it would be great if they, you know, they would have their own uh, local uh, stream, uh, game streams, but then every time they want to update the streams in the game that is uh, available to the, to the public, uh, if they could send that in a very specific format to first party, and it would be great if all the first party platforms uh, use the same kind of kind of API connections, same kind of API uh, communication uh, commands, so that you know we could just uh, use some tool that um, could always export the same way. There's there's a lot of copy paste in in this industry. That's something that uh, I uh, you know I try to eradicate as much as possible. But uh, there's some 
some of the first party platforms, they just force you to do copy paste, right? Uh, on your on the translation side, you're not aware of this, but I mean, the game streams, if the pipeline is set up correctly, there is no copy paste, everything is smooth. Uh, you won't ever see Italian in the Spanish version, for example, because everything is automatic. But uh, for example, when you translate what we call metadata, metadata are the streams that we have to upload to Sony or Microsoft these are the streams for the store, for example. So when you go to the PlayStation Store and you look for a game, you will see a title for a package and then a description assigned to that package. And all that is that all that has to be done manually. So you have to connect to a Sony server. You have to copy paste the translations. You cannot even import an Excel file. Um, for uh, for Microsoft, you can now, but still, there's you know it's it's still a very manual process. I um, a couple of years ago, I asked one guy who was uh, in charge of uploading these translations how much time he spent on one game in one year doing this kind of thing, uh, and he told me it was about one thousand hours, right? So wow, imagine, imagine that. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm, we only had what two platforms at the time now with next gen coming up we're gonna have five six sometimes seven platforms so imagine if you have to copy paste every single translation into those uh, um, those platforms right manually and sometimes these include languages that the game doesn't even support so even if we if we don't translate into for example uh, turkish uh, we might have store items available to the Turkish players, right, in the store. So we are actually translating into other languages who don't support. So all these have to be copy-pasted uh, manually as well. So we're not talking only about maybe the eight languages we're localizing into or 10. We're talking more about between 15 and 20 languages. So um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of copy-paste. It's a lot of, I mean, I was talking about this guy who was uploading the translations, but you have to think about the testers who have to test the game. Uh, you have to, to think about every time there's an English, uh, an update in English, right? You, you're going to have to redo the, the, the work. We're talking about bug management. So all this time, you know, could be reduced uh, a lot if they could just let us uh, push the strings to a server via an API, right? And if it could be the same kind of API, you know, that you could just with one button, you could upload all the translations to all the platforms at the same time. So that's my number one. Uh, uh, number two is also about first party and it's about uh, their language support, especially when, when new uh, platforms come up. I mean, Stadia, Stadia was just, uh, you know, it's, it was just, uh, it just started now and they only support European languages. Uh, and not all of them. They don't support Polish, Russian. So I, I, I just don't understand. I mean, in, in 2019, uh, how uh, how publishers, you know, sell a, a new platform and they don't support all the languages that their previous uh, uh, their previous platform supported. Right? PS3 was uh, for a very long time it didn't support Polish and Russian. And this creates extra work on the development side because they have to do some kind of hacks to to make the game uh, available in Polish or in Russian. So yeah, those are my main two wish lists. Kind of, you know, I'd love it if if Sony, Microsoft, and Google and everyone sat down together and came up with a system that you know could be shared between all platforms and that the developers could benefit from. I think that's great a great wish list at all. Into these uh, a panel like this and you think a lot of our requests would be towards vendors or towards technology, but it's it goes the other way as well. And I only hope that at some point maybe we as you know game localization uh, warriors, you know, we can get together and in some kind of industry body, maybe just voice these problems to the localization teams at Sony, at Microsoft, at Nintendo. Uh, Apple, Google, and you know, players one because ultimately, I think we'd all benefit. Yep, good. good. I was just checking the attendees to see if anyone from uh, those companies is there, but I, I can't see the company names. So, <laughs> no. But for your for your second point, don't you think often it's you know simply a business decision? I mean, 
you know, take Netflix, they didn't go global, you know, on day one, they did a staggered rollout across different countries, you know, maybe. Yeah, yeah but Netflix, uh, I mean, they couldn't be sure that they had enough, they, they were going to have enough uh, clients in those countries at first, you know, mm. but uh, I mean, Sony and Microsoft, um, they've been there for a while, they know that, you know, people actually play in Russia, in Russia, in Russia, right? I mean, they, they know what their clients are going to be. They have an idea of uh, how many consoles they're going to sell. So, uh, and, and they are going to end up supporting those languages. They know it. It's just that as, as far as localization goes, uh, the consoles, when they come up, they're in, in a beta version, right? Do you see this, you know, your wish list, your things on the wish list part of the localization teams in these companies? Or, you know, who do you think uh, would have to be like the front force to make this happen? I think it just takes uh, a couple people with localization, with a localization background, with a very strong localization background in those companies. But, you know, it's it's really hard for them to come up with the same system. They, it really takes for kind of a committee to uh, or by people from all these uh, platforms to, you know, sit together and come up with a system that, uh, you know, is going to work for everyone. Uh, and and I don't I don't think they're aware of the time spent by each company uh, localizing these kinds these kinds of assets, right? I mean, uh, we we do on our side we automate most of it, uh, everything we can. But I mean, I can't imagine uh, the other companies that are still relying on Excel files where they copy paste. So that right there, if you're doing that, then you're uh, duplicating the amount of copy paste. In our case, it's only the the, the poor guy who's uploading to the uh, the translations to the plat to the platforms who's doing the copy paste. We we don't do the copy paste. Uh, we have automated systems to get this localized. But uh, uh, imagine other companies who don't have this. Right? There's one person doing copy paste for localization and another one doing copy paste to upload it to to first party. So. Uh, it, I, yeah, I just don't think they realize how much time they could save developers if they put something like this in place. Mm. So, okay, so on the, on the copy-paste theme then, um, is copy-paste something that uh, everyone else struggles with in other areas uh, besides first party? Like, uh, I guess all you were talking about different systems not being connected, I suppose that you're copy-pasting all the time there too. Um, yeah, there are, there are some areas that are still stuck. But I mean, those areas are getting smaller and smaller. Um, to eliminate those, of course, you know, you either purchase technology or you do develop it yourselves. Um, and as Adolfo was, was saying earlier, you know, for some companies it's possible and others not. Um, so it is it is a tough struggle, and a lot of that is invisible to the other translators, the testers, possibly a lot of uh, localization PMs as well, because these are things that have to be done and you have to adapt to whatever storefront you're selling on and you have to adapt to their processes. Um, what we haven't done yet is really voice the fact that, you know, a lot of those processes might be quite outdated and there are solutions out there that could automate a lot of things or standardize. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. It used to be a lot worse um, and I hope, you know, one day it will go away completely. Yeah, for example, about standards, uh, the the consoles don't even use the same language codes, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, you have to do your own thing to figure out what language code you have to use, right? Instead of following the ISO standards, right? They, they each come up with their own system. On our side, there's not a lot of uh, copy pasting. I mean, we, 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 we deliver the, the, the strings and then the developers are the ones that have to struggle with that, uh, with the first party. So uh, the localization teams are, are on our clients do a lot for us already. Well, Adolfo, I see you as the, the next chairman of the uh, consortium. For, uh... <laughs> I've, I've, seen, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. I can imagine. <laughs> Victor, you were mentioning context of one of the things on your wish list. What else is on there? Absolutely, yeah, the, the familiarization and contact is, is really key, but also lots of um, things about asset management. In game localization, we deal with thousands of files. Uh, I'm not only talking about audio, but also in, in the translation part. I mean, thousands of files, and sometimes tools uh, have some issues with, uh, with those. These files are linked, these files are related, 
Uh, sometimes you want to send the things to, to the linguists, the linguists have to, to work on that. So and sometimes it's difficult to handle all these assets, all this content uh, in the tools. I'm just thinking of uh, enormous Excel files. There's lots of tweaking and uh, engineering to be done in there because sometimes the tools just don't support it. The way to, to use the fields that you have in, in Excel files, sometimes you have to reinvent the wheel once and again. So I'll be talking about standards again, but getting the files, completely different ways of uh, handling uh, descriptions, uh, information. So you have to work a lot on, on, on that side. So all this asset management, so somehow the wish list would be something like uh, uh, standards in handling these, these assets and powerful tools or simplified tools that will be able to, to handle all these hundreds and thousands of, uh, of different files. If you add to that the audio and, uh, and translation part, then it's, uh, the thing is even, it's even worse. So you have even more files files that are not related one with the other. And sometimes it's also difficult to, to identify what is the audio for, what type of, uh, of file. Of course, you have to do all that uh, once you get the, the assets. Do you think there's an issue with that on the development side as well in terms of what, what the files are that you receive? Uh, or do you rather see the solution with, with the technology on, you know, how, on, on your side, basically, how you handle things? Well, I think somehow is the, the, there's this disconnection sometimes between uh, tools providers, tools management, transition management systems, and, and what the developers are doing. Uh, so somehow you're lucky and the, the, the teams that you work on on the client side prepare that for you wonderfully, then it's, it's wonderful. And sometimes you just uh, have to deal with, with those things and figure it out what is, uh, what is there. So there's a lot of work on analysis, on, on, on getting the analysis done, knowing what type of files you're dealing with, uh, identifying the files, parsing the files when it's necessary. Sometimes you just realize, okay, if, if they only knew about grammar of a certain language, if they only knew that, the, that there should be a duplicate in, in some segment, if they only knew that you cannot reuse part of this sentence here, uh, all these kind of things would really help and will speed up all the preparation project management part. So related to that, what, what do you wish that you had with your TMS in terms of like working with them to um, to improve that situation? On my side, the first one and maybe the easier the easier one would be able to handle very big files. I mean, that's the first one because that's the, the simpler one that sometimes we, we, we struggle with. Does anyone else uh, have any opinions on asset management? Yeah, I think for, from my side, so the element where we have um, you know, certain uh, an element of of, of manual uh, manual work and manual steps is the the LQA stage. So, I mean, if I had a request to a TMS, you know, what what would I like to see? I would see like to see good integration of of LQA. You know, be be that um, being able to mirror a full game DB. Uh, within a TMS, as opposed to being, you know, in a separate translation project, um, as well as, you know, have an interface or, or usability that testers can actually familiarize themselves with quickly, rather than needing to go through a lot of training to use. I th you know, a lot of it's going back to having, trying not to have too many platforms to eliminate uh, exactly the problem of having too many files going back and forth. Right. Mm. Do you see similar issues at Alpha? Uh, no, I think, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of content for every game. Uh, there's, it's, it's hard to make it all available in one simple system. In our case, we have one CMS where we put as much as possible, but for example, we cannot put the audio in there, so that's kind of separate. But, you know, what we do is we develop tools to validate all the assets before we send them out. So, for example, for, for audio, uh, we have tools to make sure that we have all the necessary English files before we send them. Uh, we were sending them for uh, for recording. We have uh, tools to uh, to help uh, testers or translators to validate uh, the subtitles against the recorded audio. For example, uh, we even do this for for the English audio files before we send them out for translation because there's always mismatches between uh, what the audio says and what subtitle we have in the CMS for translation. And if we record the wrong line, then we're going to have to pay for pickups, which is very expensive. So we, yeah, all this all this kind of work we try to to uh, automate and uh, and run it before we we send the assets out. Mm -hmm. Cool.
Any more opinions on asset management or because I, I have a, I do have another question, but so Victor, you mentioned earlier something about XLeaf and uh, and I was wondering if you were referring to um, just like um, XLeaf 1.2 or if you were referring to like XLeaf 2.1 or like future versions of XLeaf. Yeah, in a way, my comment was more about standards, having a standard right. for okay. content. I mean, that's uh, that's a little bit the the idea. At the end, well, you have uh, some standards for uh, translation memories. You have standards for terminology uh, management. Then you have to integrate what you receive uh, into those systems. Normally, the the, the, the tools that we use uh, accept the, the standards, but sometimes we have also first-party tools and uh, and things that we have to to work on that are completely set on different uh, on different ways of thinking. So it could be another wish list. I mean, for, for developers to check the standards, uh, you have, don't have to reinvent the wheel sometimes. Yeah. Right. This seems so achievable. Um, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, so hard for them to to get this done. I think it shouldn't be. But some, somehow the, the the game industry is so innovative, uh, and sometimes sometimes I hear, well, we have to share the information, etc. But there's new people coming all the time, new engines mm-hmm. coming in, new developers that develop their wonderful thing, and uh, and then only realize about localization at a very late stage. It's something that is very typical in our localization conversation, but it's still happening, and I think it will always happen. Talking about new things, um, Karma, before the panel, you mentioned to us something about machine translation and game localization. What's your opinion on that? I think something, I know, you know, Electronic Arts did some testing with this long time ago. I've been talking to language service providers in Barcelona who are very interested, you know, in machine translation and host editing applied to games. And of course, um, it would be a brilliant way to reduce cost, which is, I'm afraid, what you know usually companies you know are about or optimize pro- processes or whatever. So I think it's going to feature um, more and more um, for good or for bad, you know. But I think it's. Uh, I'd like to hear the other panelists' uh, opinion about this. But I think it's something that uh, mainly developers uh, are quite um, interested uh, in and are willing to explore. And I think I've heard and or read you know, that they say if you work with games, you know, from one company, same genre, you know, a saga, etc., it might be easy, you know, uh, not easy, but of course, the more you feed the, um, uh, the engine, the better, but with neural machine translation and all that, that it, you know, it might not be that far and games such as a flight simulator something like that where terminology you know is very important as opposed to a role-playing game for example where the dialogue might be more unpredictable i think could benefit from machine translation Um, but i'd like to see what you think about that and i but i actually think it is here and we're going to see more and more that's with my crystal ball i'd like to see what you see in your one uh, in, in my games, we've never used uh, machine translation. I mean, all we have is a, a translation memory in our CMS, but it's not a very powerful uh, translation memory. I, I do know that, you know, sometimes we've been sent bugs, uh, localization bugs about uh, wrong translations, and then when we dig a little bit deeper, we find out that someone used to translate, but we, we try to stay away from it. I think I think it could be a very good kind of a, a pre-step. Uh, so w- we have something that we call pseudo localization, right? So when a, when a game hasn't been translated yet, so that we can get a head start uh, and start looking at the at the potential uh, uh, localized versions before we even start translating, we, we export pseudo translations in the localized version. So instead of exporting an empty string or exporting the English text for Russian, we're gonna uh, we're gonna put some extra characters, some extra Russian characters at the beginning of the English text, and that's what we're gonna export, right? And that gives us an idea of uh, the space that we have, if it's enough space, if characters are gonna be corrupted, if the string is hard-coded or if it can be localized. Uh, and, you know, we could use to, uh, machine translation, right? You know, the, the risk is that we have to make sure that we have a system uh, to flag that string as, as being machine translated so that, uh, you know, the translator can eventually know that he he needs to 
he needs to uh, review it at least. You know? But yeah, I think I think it, it's it's a valid uh, a valid uh, uh, process for uh, to replace pseudo localization, for example. Yeah, I mean, similarly for for us, I mean, we look at machine trans. I think the standard responses you know machine translations here it's not yet ready for all kinds of content types or channels uh, and on mobile especially where you don't have huge word counts and equally you don't have a lot of space to convey your messages to players so every word matters um, and in that sense it is very creative and very often you're bordering on trans creation rather than than translating but where machine translation can definitely help is in community processes or community channels, for example, where if you do want to have a truly global product, you need to be able to communicate with players everywhere. And if you haven't got a huge community team covering every single language, a machine translation can help as a step to convey the message of the player to the developer and back. But you would need, you know, obviously humans in between before you're communicating back to the player. I think it's growing, but I've yet to see um, a way where it can work for very short, uh, concise content, especially on mobile games. But I think, you know, as Adolfo said as well, you know, if you build your own translation memories over time, you know, you can get to a stage where your TMs are good enough to match certain machine translation engines out there just for your content. Absolutely. That that was a bit what I was thinking about. I mean, uh, there's lots of lots to do with uh, content management and translation memories, uh, still, especially in the game when you have a repeated game, a repeated segments. And sometimes we see that uh, some people are trying to implement machine translation where they could have simply implemented something that does work, which is a translation memory. And the, the, the benefit from using a good translation management system would, would be radical compared to the output that we're getting right now. Hmm. That's interesting because uh, everyone's always talking about machine translation. Like in other industries, it's uh, it's more popular, um, I think. But, uh, but so the difference with mobile games is that there's less text and then um, otherwise, it's uh, you just build up strong translation memories, um, and then you don't really require MT. That's what that's the summary. I think the focus is really on creativity, and you know that's one thing I'm not seeing yet with machine translation output, unless you have big, big chunks of text. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, especially in, in VO and things like that. I mean, the content that is really, really wants to get to the heart of the players, there's still a lot to do there. <laughs> if they want to. Maybe it might never be able to do that. You know, it might just be some type of text or some game genres or the messages, you know, from the localization standards, you know, system messages, things like that. But as Victor was saying, a good TMS would do that. You know, you wouldn't need the machine mm -hmm. translation for that. But it'd be useful for, or glossaries, things like that. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully it won't replace us. I hope anyway. So uh, imagine, imagine for example, if, if first party put something like what I was mentioning uh, before, uh, where they use the same APIs for all platforms and all developers. Uh, I mean, first party could even, let's say, have the game available in a language like Malai, for example. Uh, you know, any other language that the game doesn't support, because they would have the game strings, right? So they could actually uh, allow someone in a country where they never get localized version say, okay, so you wanna you do you wanna play the Malay version? Be be aware it's it's being machine translated, right? But you know that that, that would be awesome if if you know they mm. the first platforms had the game streams on their side for all games and and they all had the same format. They could actually machine translate into a language that the developer didn't translate. And even reach even reach an audience that they would never reach, right? Yeah, that would be great That'd for be great. the audience in particular. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I mean, if they have to choose between uh, machine translation or or reading the the English, and maybe they can't read the English, then it's, it would be a huge benefit for them. Yep. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Now I hope these people are watching. <laughs> we have a lot of attendees, so yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of attendees. I, I think mostly, I think they're very interesting. So. <laughs>
All right, guys, what's what's left on your wish list? Is there anything we haven't covered? Well, we, we have some questions from the audience, actually, I think. And uh, and for the audience, if, if anyone has an in interesting wish list entry that you want to submit, uh, maybe that could be cool, too. But let's see here. Um, Judith Brenner says uh, that she agrees with Paul in the sense that we should start our wishful thinking way earlier in the production pipeline. And uh, she thinks that uh, everything needs to start at the education of designers and programmers that they need to bear in mind that uh, you'll be localizing when they're when they're just starting to create the game. Yeah, I mean, that that is highly important, um, I think. But it's also a balance, you know, a lot of games get developed, you know, but not all games get to a localization stage. So uh, education is key, but it's also choosing the correct time uh, to educate. And, you know, just so you know, that doesn't always work because I know of a studio. It doesn't. I know of a studio we work with often. You know, they they have a project coordinator, uh, but they keep changing it for every new game they make. So we have to re-educate, re-educate every time we we do one game. I guess that ties with what Victor was saying earlier, with all the with the also just an influx of talent coming into the industry constantly. Yes. All right, well, so that's the wish list item is uh, do the best we can. I think. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Um, and the last one is just uh, someone comments on MT, and Yulia says that um, they've also introduced uh, technology to automatically evaluate the MT output. That's what, what she's mentioning. I, I guess we're all aware of that, so, uh, or not. I don't know if it's relevant, because we're really talking about transcreation. So any any comments? Yeah, maybe I'm not saying it right. She says um, that there's technology now to evaluate the output of the machine translation. So like um, the like a secondary system that tries to say what quality was produced by the machine translation. Okay. Excellent. Really, I, I want to hear about that. I mean, uh, you, you need to have, having a machine uh, review a machine. I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, you you need you need a person to do the final review, right? I mean, for games at least, you know, if for mm -hmm. for an app for an app with uh, a lot of documentation it might be different, but for a game, uh, you need that person. I heard about technology that checks if you use machine translation because it analyzes if it's always the same, etc. But well, yeah, but not the review of the review. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure we've all worked on projects where you've had a translation tester changes it and then another tester changes it back you know you might have the same issue with the uh, with the uh, double machine translation step <laughs> and then again with your post editor and the and yeah, advisor yeah. Of, of that yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to comment on that at all Carmen about the, uh, well, the I didn't know about this um, system but I do think I agree with Adolfo that definitely the last check needs to be done you know by a human um, so it would be more a post editing or you know quality assessment or something like that because of what Paul was saying that it's key to the industry which is creativity and transcreation and I don't think you know uh, Google Translate or, or any other um, machine translation system today, I don't know in a hundred years, but it's going to be able to have this creativity and this spark that you need, you know, to translate uh, certain game types, mm -hmm. of course, and text, like not all games are the same, uh, but most of the time, yeah, the puns, the play on words, right. the intertextual references, you know, all these things, um, I think you need a human, you know, to do this uh, correctly. Mm -hmm. Today, anyway. Similarly, yeah. you might have machine translation elements start working on English content. You know, you could press a button and say, I would like to make a first person shooter set in space. Please write a script, you know, and there you have it. But I think we're far off from that. Yeah. That's artificial intelligence. That's 2000 and I don't know. <laughs> 
and 120 or something. Yeah, there, there was something about AI creating fake news. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, a lot of quality metrics and, you know, the MQM, there are a lot of systems to assess machine translation output, but they're done by human, you know, not, not by technology. So I will check into that, you know, because I think it's very interesting. Thank you to, I think, you, Julia, who made the comment. But, but if, you, if you have a machine reviewing a machine, why don't you just merge them together and you have one machine? <laughs> Isn't that scary? <laughs> it reminds me, I need to see the new Terminator film. I haven't watched it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's saying automatic MT evalu evaluation um, is something that companies are, are using, so that's interesting. And then uh, this technology helps to define whether or not content is suitable for MTPE at all. Interesting. And then we oh. also have a comment. One of our listeners is saying, I predict working with MT in the lock process will become standard, even for games. But post-editing is key, and educating our linguists to be great post-editors is very important. It's a different skill set. Yes, that's true. It's very true. It's different to train a translator than a post editor. And still, you know, universities are being very, very slow to pick up on post editing training. Like we started three years ago with a, a little bit, but I think it's going to become more and more important for sure. I agree with that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Just trying to go through some more comments here. Machine translation has produced a number of comments. Yes. <laughs> <I agree>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a, it yeah. always does. It's like translation, which we then talk about, but that's another crowdsourcing, etc. You know, we leave that for the next panel, but that always, you know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Leah is saying, I just like to add also on MT that it all depends on the engine and how it is trained. If it's fed with a really good and strong TM, the results can be impressive. But using the engine is always the first step, and just like it was said, it will always need to be post edited. The accent is on how much changes are needed for the contents to be usable. There's a few more, almost there. I like uh, Miss uh, Clark's um, comment that uh, she wants to see better shortcuts for post-editing machine translation to make it a little bit snappier. Um, that's a nice little item for the wish list. Yeah, it could be it could be a shortcut just saying, okay, give me another. Oh, another <laughs> until you yeah. find the right machine translator translation. Ah, now we've got another X, layer to X. wish. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a request for a dedicated MT in games localization panel. So we'll think about that one. <laughs> Sounds like a, it's really great when the ideas write themselves. So thank you um, for coming up with that idea. <laughs> uh, we have one question here. So Christopher is asking, what effects do you believe game streaming will have on localization? Will the games be larger? Will frequency of updates increase? Well, I think like a lot of platforms already, uh, the text isn't in, embedded in a file somewhere. It's sitting in a cloud. Um, and I think the, a great advantage there for localization is you'll, you're able to deploy text uh, at the push of a button and see fixes and changes immediately live. And I think uh with with, with stream content that that aspect will just further grow so localization it might become more faster and demanding and challenging but at the same time issues can be fixed even faster as well so um i think it's a great thing you know moving away from files to um everything sitting in the cloud it, it can only only benefit us yeah i had i had the same thought i mean they're streaming art and they're streaming audio uh, please let us stream text, right? It would be so simple. Yeah. There's definitely more and more more content to, uh, as consumers, we are buying content. So uh, that's what uh, companies are selling us more content, more content, more content. Games, especially AAAs, are bigger and bigger and bigger. And even in, in smaller games, the amount of content that needs to be generated just to sell that game is. is it's continuous localization. Yeah, it's uh, content after content after content. Uh, All right. Well, okay. Robert, am I missing anything? Otherwise, I think we're wrapping this up. Do you guys have any any last comments for the wish list? No, I was saying Santa is going to be very busy with all these weeks. I know for sure Santa Wordby is uh, going to be interested. <laughs> but uh, but we'll, we will spread this across the internet and we will find that uh, we will try to find all the, all the possible Santas. 
So we have uh, more context on the wish list. We have better communication with academia. There's some things still to be done with asset management and uh, improving the the platforms in terms of getting a CMS, TMS type version, right? We can, you know, let's just leave machine translation on the side for now. <laughs> yeah, and of course, all the first party work there needs to be done that Adolfo mentioned. So it's definitely a long wish list. We're passing it on. <laughs> um, and the integrated systems that, that Paul was talking about, having uh, an integrated system for, for all this. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it was great having you all here today. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us and also to our listeners who participated here and asked all these questions and had great comments. Um, it was great talking to you. It was a great discussion. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. This was another episode of the International Bus Podcast. If you want to attend one of our upcoming panel discussions, feel free to register on our website, workbee.com.